Hey everybody, this is Neha Shingane, your host of the Building Our Vision podcast. On this podcast, we talk to people in the ATD Atlanta network and analyze the momentous changes going on in the world today. Together, we try to find ways to learn, grow, and build our vision for the future. Today, we are talking about an issue that we've been keeping a close eye on, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. On this podcast, we are committed to helping our members figure out how to incorporate DEI principles into their workplaces and figure out what that means for their everyday lives. So to help us figure out these complex issues, we have here with us Nikki Cannon. Nikki is uh, sits at the intersection between learning and development and diversity, equity, and inclusion. She is obsessed with increasing the value of inclusion and believes that inclusion is the secret to high-performing teams and organizations. She has a MA in positive organizational psychology from Claremont Graduate University and extensive experience in the Fortune 500 retail, luxury retail, and healthcare sectors of New York. Welcome, Nikki. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you so much, Neha. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Yay. Okay, so in season two, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Um, Instead of kind of getting into your background and, you know, spending a lot of time on that, I want to get to know you the fastest way that I possibly know. Okay. And, um, and these questions are like really scientific, um, and they're designed to get at the heart of your essence. Okay. Are you ready? Um, Absolutely. Okay. I want you to answer as fast as you possibly can. Okay. Here, here we go. Okay. First question, coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay. What's the fastest you've ever driven a car before? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Probably 95 miles per hour. <laughs> and the beauty of this segment is that I don't get to ask any follow-up questions of like why you were driving that fast or anything. So we're just going to keep moving. Okay. Um, would you rather get up late or get up early? Or you get what I'm saying. Yeah. It's stay up late or get up early. Oof. <laughs> definitely stay up late but my kids are forcing me to do both (laughs) oh my gosh okay um what is your most used emoji oh laughing face emoji I know it's a (laughs) it's supposed to be a millennial thing but I love it it's the laughing face emoji for sure (laughs) the laughing with the little tears coming out yep you know the one (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm a millennial too (laughs) um okay and then my last question um is what was your favorite pandemic purchase Ooh, I'm gonna have to say our house so we were um pandemic escapers and now we went from the city to the suburbs amazing that's that's a really big purchase. Um, I would say mine was probably an air fryer. I um, <laughs> I don't know how I didn't get on this train before, but the air fryer is amazing. You can make anything bagel bites for, you know, like those little chicken popper things like everything tastes amazing coming out of an air fryer. <laughs> So Sounds like that might need to be my next purchase then. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, OK, and I'll get the house next. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Sounds good. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nikki. I really feel like we've gotten to know you. Um, and I'm so excited to talk to you today about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so you're an industry veteran. You've been in 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 the in the know for a long time, um, and you've kind of seen how DEI has evolved, um, especially in the last year or so, where it's really blown up. Um, so what I want you to help us with today is figuring out like what are organizations focusing on? I want to know what is the lay of the land as it stands right now. Um, so like what types of things are people focusing on in terms of hiring? Yep. So when it comes to hiring, organizations are really looking at preparing diverse slates for their hiring managers. And what that means is that they're sourcing for more diverse um, areas, whether that's different job postings, going to um, different organizations such as historically black colleges and universities, and making sure that that the talent acquisition team is eliminating as much bias as possible. So they might be doing something like blind screenings or just trying to really control um, for, for bias coming in to ensure that there's more diversity that's being brought into the workplace. Gotcha. So hiring is focusing on, um, yeah, creating more diversity within the employee pool. Um, and like, I know tracking is really important, um, with recruitment and with, you know, these types of programs. So like what, what are the metrics that people are tracking? You know what I mean? Like what, um, how, how are they measuring these programs? Yep. So one thing that's really, that we've really noticed is that organizations tend to look diverse differently from the bottom versus the top. So if you look at uh, diversity by leadership level, you're going to see that the lower um, lower tiers, so your, your frontline employees are going to be much more diverse. And as you move up the top, it looks less and less diverse. And when we use diverse uh, diversity as a general term, organizations are measuring things like gender diversity, race diversity, um, disability, veteran status, sexual orientation, age, and a whole host of these more visible differences. And can I see these metrics? Like are all companies sharing these metrics and stuff? I would be so interested to know what a lot of big companies, what their makeups are. Like, are they sharing this? Yes. Some companies are sharing them publicly while some are keeping them internal. Um, but what we've noticed is that the companies who do share them externally, they feel more of a sense of obligation to be meeting those metrics that they set out for themselves in terms of diversity. I got you. Um, I, my company at some point asked me to be in an affinity group. Um, and I was actually really confused as to what that was and actually how that would make any kind of impact or whatever. So like, can you explain to me a little bit what an affinity group is or an employee resource group? Um, I've heard, yeah, both ways. Yes. So employee resource groups or affinity groups are a uniquely American concept. And it's basically getting groups of employees who identify um, in a certain way to come together to create um, to to create momentum around issues that matter to them the most. So examples of employee resource groups are like a a black American, uh, black and African American employee resource group, or a Hispanic Latino or Latinx um, employee resource group. We have. Uh, an Asian American employee resource group. Other affinity groups include working parents, women in the workplace, um, and LGBTQA plus or pride groups. 
so these groups, what usually, um, what the what the typical outcomes of these groups are, is that they create moments for education, for advancement, for celebrations. They participate in charitable events, and um, at the at the highest impact, what these groups can do is that they can impact how the organization markets, um, how they conduct business and operations, and and um, can really can really drive some actual organizational success for for the companies that they work for. Um, that's so interesting. I I love that we're trying to build coalitions um, within organizations. I really really love that. Um, and I, what I want to know is, so you shared with me earlier this crazy statistic that um, organizations are spending eight billion dollars on. Um, is it diversity, equity, and inclusion, or is it just like where is that money going? Basically, uh, is what I want to know. That money is spent on diversity trainings alone. So that was the 2019 figure, and I'm going to guess that it's only gone up since. But a lot of companies are conducting things like organizational wide unconscious bias training, inclusive leadership training, um, and other programs such as allyship and anti-racism training. Some of these are in the forms of mandatory training, some are e-learnings, and some are some are uh, optional lunch and learns. That's that's an insane statistic to me. Like I'm I'm really blown away by eight billion dollars uh, on diversity training alone. I'm so happy. You know, I'm like really glad that all of these um, that you know people are pushing these programs forward. That we're recognizing the importance of diversity and equity and inclusion. Um, and, and it really seems like people have started to do a lot of work in this space. Um, I feel like, you know, we all kind of woke up all one, you know, one day and realized like, oh my God, we need to do something about this. (laughs) But, um, so, okay. So, so we've been doing this maybe for a year, maybe for a little bit longer. Is it working? Is it working? And what can we do to improve what's going on right now? I think organizations would like to think that they're making progress. However, what studies are showing is that there's actually a a little bit more that organizations can be doing. Um, For example, when we think about hiring diverse candidates, when we're bringing in these individuals, we, we really haven't thought about the what happens after we bring in diverse um, employees into our organization. What does that workflow look like? How does it change as a result? How does the company change as a result? And when we think about the celebrations that we're having, they can they can sometimes be disproportionate, which could leave people out of the conversation. Uh, f- for example, we I know an organization that did a big splash around Lunar New Year and its celebration. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't have that same type of splash when it came to other Asian celebrations such as Eid and Diwali. So you see this disproportionate celebration happening. And then the third point that I've noticed that organizations are doing is that there's a lot um, that is focused around PR and marketing. So you have companies showcasing on their website what their commitment to DEI is. However, some of these acts um, can leave a lot to be desired if the employees don't feel like they're working in an inclusive environment. I, um, I have seen some of that as well. I've seen a lot of companies maybe posting a black square or, you know, like things like that. But then, um, 
but their employees don't necessarily feel like they're included in their work environments. I mean, on an individual level, they don't feel included or like they're being seen or heard. Um, I've heard that being described as like performative allyship. Is that um, something that you agree with? Like you would call that performative? Absolutely. I think employees are really they're they're really in tune to what's happening right now in the world and more and more employees especially as we think about um the workforce that's coming in gen z uh, you know it sounds like it's far away but gen z is here they're in the workforce it's what is rated as one of their top priorities is to work in an organization where they feel like their um, beliefs and their values are aligned with the organizational culture Mm-hmm. And when organizations are posting things like uh, like a black square or a hashtag like Black Lives Matter or Stop Asian Hate, and they're not seeing that there's anything else that's tied to that um, public, uh, I guess, act of showcasing their, their um, support for that group, then it feels performative and it feels like an illusion of inclusion is happening where there is this outward expression of support, but internally the employees may feel very differently. And that can, that can in many cases be more detrimental than just not saying anything at all. I love that phrase that you just used illusion of inclusion. Um, I think that's really, uh, really profound. Um, especially when we talk about, okay, you're all of these companies are spending so much effort and time into recruiting diverse candidates or, you know, spending a lot of time finding, um, you know, new talent pools and things like that. But then when, you know, these people come to these work uh, environments, it feels so, um, you know, they're, they're not being supported, like they're not being supported and their voices aren't being heard. Um, and I guess I want to dive into a little bit like what is it about kind of mainstream work culture that makes it uncomfortable for people with diverse voices? Um, You know, what happens? Is it that like their ideas aren't heard or their ideas aren't supported or is, you know, I mean, I I guess like I want to know where the discomfort is. Absolutely. So when you think about let's let's um, play it out. So we have someone who is um, we can say diverse from an outward perspective. So maybe they're um, someone who's not of the the dominant race or gender and they come into the organization and they feel immediately welcomed and supported in a way that they're, that they're a new employee who wants to be productive very quickly, right? Mm-hmm. And what happens is this person may think very differently um, because of their upbringing, because of their individual journey and how they grew up and what experiences they've had. And they may propose different ideas. And what happens is sometimes those ideas aren't appreciated as much as, um, as you know, the, the dominant group. And when that happens, this person can feel really diminished. They can feel like their voice isn't being heard. They can feel like they're not being able to contribute to the organization. And this could lead to them either dialing back and not just putting forth as much effort, or it could mean that they spend a lot more time thinking about and wondering if they belong there or if they are included versus actually doing the work and coming up with the ideas and the creativity that they were hired for. So this ultimately leads to the route of this person feeling 
disconnected and disengaged and they may even choose to leave the organization and then then that that person you're losing out on that person's intelligence and their creativity and what they can offer to the organization i i really resonate with what you're saying like i'm i'm a person of color i'm indian like from and um i ended up going to law school for a little while and when i got there i definitely felt extremely outside of the mainstream and I would say things that, you know, didn't necessarily, everybody else would say one thing and I would be, you know, on the left or something like saying something else. And I really felt so excluded. And like, I was like, well, I'm here, I'm in law school. Like I made it in just like everybody else did, but why do I feel like I'm on the outside? You know, like, why do I, and I, and it really affected, I would, it would really affected my performance. It affected a lot of different things. So, um, I, I really, yeah, definitely resonate with your description of what happens to somebody who is diverse, maybe outside of the mainstream. And then when they're shut down, kind of, you know, when the culture is not supportive of them, um, it's, it can be really hard. It can be really, really hard. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Have you, have you ever had an experience like that before where you felt like you were outside the mainstream or you were, you know, like not supported in your environment? Absolutely. So I um, am, so I'm a new parent or new-ish parent. I'm also a woman of color. I'm a Taiwanese and Singaporean American. Um, and, you know, going back to work for me was, was really tough because I felt like my identity really changed. I used to be the person who was, you know, at the office till 7.30 PM or, you know, hanging out and always available for a happy hour um, in the city. And um, when I had my first son uh, about, about a couple of years ago, he's now two and a half, I felt like I had to go home. I had to leave the office at 5.30 and I um, was no longer available to put in the extra effort that I previously had. And because of this, I felt left out of events. Um, people stopped inviting me to things because they just assumed that I wasn't able to attend. And it really, it, it was really difficult for, for a period of time. Yeah. I, to feel like you're outside, I, um, it, it affects your performance with your team like it affects your your performance with your group I think and that's um that's what we're trying to address right now today I think right um how do you how do you feel included (laughs) (laughs) not not to really put the hammer on it but um yeah so how how can organizations support their diverse voices, their people outside the mainstream, um, you know, when they're spending so much effort recruiting diverse candidates, how can they support them once they actually get to work? Absolutely. I think the issue that we're facing today is that organizations are spending a lot of time and effort on the D and, and a little bit on the E on the equity part, but we're, we haven't really seen a lot around inclusion. And that to us is is the missing link when we think about what organizations can be doing better to support their diverse um, employee base. So inclusion is defined as this idea of uh, having a sense of feeling like a sense of belongingness. Um, And it's something that is elusive only because it's so automatic for us to, to not default to inclusivity. As humans, we have a tendency to think in terms of us versus them. 
So Neha, I know you watched the Summer Olympics, right? Whoop, whoop, Simone Biles. <laughs> That's my girl. <laughs> so if you watch the, the Summer Olympics, I know you are cheering on Team USA. And so when Team USA scored or when you saw someone on the platform, you felt a sense of pride. When someone else did better who was on another team, um, we know that for the Olympics, the competition was particularly against the, the Russian team, right? Maybe you felt you felt like you wanted them to, you wanted someone from their team to slip up or to not perform as well so that we could pull forward. And this, and there's no reason for that except for the identification of country, right? So you don't know any of these people personally. Well, maybe you do, and I just don't know that, but- um, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is you don't really have a, a connection to any of these individuals other than the fact that they are from- Team USA and your Team USA versus another team, right? It's automatic. It's evolutionary. It's innate in us that we want to feel like we belong to a certain group. And what happens is when you feel like a sense of identity and belonging to one group, then the other group automatically or other groups automatically become the out groups. And there is the sense of affinity where you feel so connected to your group that you want better for your group and feel more disconnected to, and may even want to avoid other groups. Mm -hmm. So that's innate and natural in all of us. The tribalism. Absolutely. Right. Who's in your tribe. So you, we have this natural tendency for tribalism and it's so natural that it's really not something that we think about on a day-to-day -day basis. So to be inclusive, we actually have to purposefully be more intentional about including people, especially people who are different from us. I I think that's it's so helpful to um, think about it in terms of destroying or not destroying. That's excessive, but you know, like um, uh, overcoming our innate. Um, want to be in that us versus them like I think it's we once we recognize that it's like a a habit then you can start working on breaking down the habit um so okay so inclusion is the solution for people who are feeling kind of left out right um and therefore and their performance is kind of failing because of that or you know whatever um and, and we kind of talked about how to develop an inclusive mindset in an organizational standpoint. Like, you know, we talked about that that is what needs to be done. Let's talk a little bit about how we can apply that to an individual level. Um, how can an individual develop a an inclusive mindset? Um, and uh, one thing that, that we kind of talked about before was vaccine hesitancy. This is a camp that I'm seeing played out in my everyday life. Like, I mean, I got vaccinated and I support vaccinations, but I'm seeing this dialogue around getting vaccinated as a very us versus them dialogue. Um, you know, I mean, you hear people kind of talking about people who don't get vaccinated as like idiots or like, you know, or like, what are they doing? Like, it's, it's a very angry and insulting dynamic kind of. Um, and, clearly it's not working, right? I mean, like people aren't, the people who don't want to get vaccinated aren't getting vaccinated. Calling them idiots isn't working. Um, so how can we use inclusion and developing an inclusive mindset to kind of bring 
the, you know, everybody into the fold and kind of bring everybody under the tent? Um, How do we use an inclusive mindset to do that? Well, the first step is to recognize that that's happening. When we call people names like anti-vaxxer, COVIDiot, it actually reinforces the us versus them. It's not a great solution to get someone to a vaccine center by calling them an idiot. So um, no matter how many times you try, right? So yeah. So sometimes that's not the best solution. Um, what I would suggest is leveraging inclusion. And it's, it's a simple three-step process. The first step is to seek to learn. So really be really open up your mind and be open to what people are going to share. Um, Listen to understand, not to respond. I know that's a big one. And, And start to understand that there might be a myriad of reasons why people are choosing not to be vaccinated versus, um, versus just that they, they um, aren't smart um, Mm -hmm. as being like the default, the default uh, assumption. So, Um, I'm vaccinated and I had a hard time understanding why people were choosing not to get vaccinated. So I did some research. I asked around and I talked to people who were um, vaccine hesitant to understand a little bit more about why they may be choosing to to delay or to not have the vaccine. And there were really, really um, interesting reasons that people shared. People shared that they're afraid of long-term effects, that there's just so much that we don't know yet. Um, someone shared that they've already had the virus so that they should have natural antibodies. Um, someone else might not have the time or the ability to get to a vaccine center. And as someone who used to be really, really needle phobia, uh, you know, have a lot of needle phobia before I had kids, it might just be that they're afraid of needles. And two is just a lot. And you have no idea what the extent of someone's fear is. So there could be so many different reasons why people are choosing not to not to get the vaccine. The second step is to then really appreciate their perspective. We can really fall back on our common ground here. And instead of demonizing people, appreciate that they're coming from a different place. And it, it generates a desire for us to want to support them, to want to help them and to be generous and giving our time and information that might be able to help them. The final step is to have a dialogue. Instead of debating, let's focus our energy on understanding and sharing with them, being generous and sharing with them facts. Studies have shown that facts are the most effective way to get people to vaccine centers. That's awesome. So I want to do a little bit of like a role play exercise with you. Okay. So I am, so my vaccine hesitant person in my life is my brother. Um, and he, he doesn't, you know, he, he lists all the reasons that you just listed and it's not like I can cut him out of my life. You know what I mean? Like I can't just like stop talking to him or whatever. I have to talk to him and I have, and he's my brother. I love him. Like, you know, I don't want to exclude him in any kind of a way. So I want to do a little bit of a role play exercise where I'm my brother and you're me and teach me how to talk to him about this kind of stuff. You know, like I, 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 is, is the goal to create a behavior change in him? Like, what is the goal here when I talk to him with an inclusive mindset? Like, how do I do this? Okay. Um, so, okay. So, so let, I'm going to be my brother. You be, you be you. And I'm going to be like, Hey, Hey, Neha, what's up? Uh, (laughs) um, yeah. And, and so, and then I usually ask him like, hey, when are you going to get your vaccine? And he's like, uh, I don't know. I probably already have antibodies. I got COVID last year. You know, like I, I don't need them. 
what would you say to him? Yeah. So part of the having an inclusive mindset is a little bit of accepting the person for who they are, but also appreciating their perspective and wanting to include them anyway. And one technique that I would use in this situation is the yes and technique, which we call um, uh, when, when I think about inclusion winning together. So you might say something like, oh, you have the antibodies that, you know, that you, you got COVID in the past and you might feel like you're immune. Yes, and I really want you to be protected from more severe illness. So if you look at these statistics around hospitalizations and severe illness, um, you know, it might make you, it might help you to make a more informed decision around, around your vaccine status. So it's, it's about incorporating the yes and appreciating their perspective and building on top of it. That was masterfully done. Um, and I'm definitely <laughs> not that smooth when I talk to him. <laughs> uh, you know, it's way easier to call your brother like an idiot, you know, like, but he does not respond well to that. So I'm, thank you so much for teaching me a better way. <laughs> Just trying here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that was a great example of how, an inclusive mindset can help you in an individual level. Um, I want to kind of just end the show by talking about what does inclusion look like in organizations and um, why inclusion needs to be a focus for organizations going forward. Well, inclusion is really more than just creating a sense of belonging it has the ability to bring together a diverse group of people to leverage their group intelligence to maximize the potential and to enable things like creative problem solving and holistic decision making, which will lead to organizational outcomes. So my focus is on increasing that value of inclusion, just like a stock, when a stock appreciates and increases in value, I feel like organizations need to be putting their money in inclusion and making sure that they're putting in just as much effort and resources into inclusion as they are with diversity and equity. But it's hard because real inclusion isn't sexy. It doesn't readily translate to the typical measures that we spoke about earlier, where you can take a, you can take a slice and understand, you know, your metrics around gender diversity or racial, diver, racial diversity or pay gaps, for example. It's hard to measure. It's difficult to quantify into those metrics and to articulate the journey and progression. But just like you shared the time where you felt excluded, I know that you have a moment in time where you felt truly included fully embraced for who you are. And in those moments, you felt like you could run through walls for this team or this organization or this leader. And you felt like you were contributing ideas more than, and you were able to give more than you ever could because you felt like your ideas mattered and your voice played a part in the organization's success. It takes a lot more to do that than posting a hashtag and sans serif font over a black box on Instagram. But it's a series of small decisions and actions that individuals and leaders take to create an environment of equity and belonging. Small things that people can do, asking open-ended questions and being curious about others instead of making assumptions, just like our vaccine hesitancy example. 
about being generous and giving recognition and credit to people when it's properly deserved, giving the benefit of the doubt when the facts are unclear. And ultimately, it's about reaching out to people who are different from us, knowing very well that diversity makes us smarter, but it doesn't make the process easier, just like you might have a little bit more friction with someone who has a different opinion than you. But it's knowing that when we have that collaboration, when we can say yes and, um, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, So there's a lot that we can gain from inclusion. And it's about that daily practice and the intentionality. What is the outcome of creating an inclusive environment for teams usually? When we think about the team outcome of inclusion, it's... It's monumental. Teams who feel that sense of inclusion and co- and they feel like they're really embedded into the organization just feel like they can achieve so much more. And that organizational outcome uh, of teams performing well is going to contribute ultimately to what we all care about, the bottom line. Well, thank you so much, Nikki. I enjoyed having you on the show. Um, it's been it's been really great. I think this is such an important topic, and I'm so happy to have had this conversation with you today. Thank you so much, Neha, for having me, and let's have another conversation anytime. Yay! Awesome. Um, great. So. For anybody looking for more conversations like this, more events, more training, please check us out at the ATD Atlanta website. You can find us at atdatlanta.org. And until then, stay safe, stay masked up, um, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.